Section twenty five of Essays, Book One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daniel Fraser. Essays, Book One by Michelle de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Chapter twenty five on the education of children part one to madame diane de foix comtesse de gerson i never yet saw that father but let his son be never so decrepit or deformed would not notwithstanding own him not nevertheless if he were not totally besotted and blinded with his paternal affection that he did not well enough discern his defects but that with all defaults he was still his just so i see better than any other that all i write here are but the idle reveries of a man that has only nibbled upon the outward crust of sciences in his knowledge and only retained a general and formless image of them who has got a little snatch of everything and nothing of the whole a la francois for i know in general that there is such a thing as physic as jurisprudence four parts in mathematics and roughly what all these aim and point at and peradventure i yet know farther what sciences in general pretend unto in order to the service of our life but to die farther than that and to have cudgelled my brains in the study of aristotle the monarch of all modern learning or particularly addicted myself to any one science i have never done it neither is there any one art of which i am able to draw the first lineaments and dead colour insomuch that there is not a boy of the lowest form in a school that may not pretend to be wiser than i who am not able to examine him in his first lesson which if i am at any time forced upon i am necessitated in my own defence to ask him unaptly enough some universal questions such as may serve to try his natural understanding a lesson as strange and unknown to him as his is to me I never seriously settled myself to the reading any book of solid learning but Plutarch and Seneca, and there, like the Danades, I eternally fill, and it, as constantly, runs out. Something of which drops upon this paper, but little or nothing stays with me. History is my particular game as to matter of reading, or else poetry, for which I have particular kindness and esteem for as cleanthes said as the voice forced through the narrow passage of a trumpet comes out more forcible and shrill so methinks a sentence pressed within the harmony of verse darts out more briskly upon the understanding and strikes my ear and apprehension with a smarter and more pleasing effect as to the natural parts i have of which this is the essay i find them to bow under the burden my fancy and judgment do but grope in the dark, tripping and stumbling in the way. And when I have gone as far as I can, I am in no degree satisfied. I discover still a new and greater extent of land before me, with a troubled and imperfect sight, and wrapped up in clouds that I am not able to penetrate. And taking upon me to write indifferently of whatever comes into my head, and therein making use of nothing but my own proper and natural means. If it befall me, as oft-times it does, accidentally to meet in any good author the same heads and commonplaces upon which I have attempted to write, as I did but just now in Plutarch's Discourse of the Force of Imagination, to see myself so weak and so forlorn, so heavy and so flat, in comparison of those better writers, I at once pity or despise myself. Yet do I please myself with this, that my opinions have often the honour and good fortune to jump with theirs, and that I go in the same path, though at a very great distance, and can say, ah, that is so. I am farther satisfied to find that I have a quality which everyone is not blessed with all, which is to discern the vast difference between them and me and notwithstanding all that 
suffer my own inventions, low and feeble as they are, to run on in their career, without mending or plastering up the defects that this comparison has laid open to my own view. And, in plain truth, a man had need of a good strong back to keep pace with these people. The indiscreet scribblers of our times, who, amongst their laborious nothings, insert whole sections and pages out of ancient authors, with a design by that means to illustrate their own writings, do quite contrary. For this infinite dissimilitude of ornaments renders the complexion of their own compositions so sallow and deformed that they lose much more than they get. The philosophers, Chrysippus and Epicurus, were in this of two quite contrary humours. The first, not only in his books, mixed passages and sayings of other authors, but entire pieces, and in one, the whole Medea of Euripides, which gave Apollodorus occasion to say, that should a man pick out of his writings all that was none of his, he would leave him nothing but blank paper. Whereas the latter, quite on the contrary, in three hundred volumes that he left behind him, has not so much as one quotation. Diogenes Laetius, Lives of Chrysippus, 7, 181, and Epicurus, 10, 26. I happened the other day upon this piece of fortune. I was reading a French book, whereafter I had a long time run dreaming over a great many words, so dull, so insipid, so void of all wit or common sense, that indeed they were only French words. After a long and tedious travel, I came at last to meet with a piece that was lofty, rich, and elevated to the very clouds, of which, had I found either the declivity easy or the ascent gradual, there had been some excuse. But it was so perpendicular a precipice, and so wholly cut off from the rest of the work, that by the first six words I found myself flying into the other world, and thence discovered the veil whence I came so deep and low, that I had never had since the heart to descend into it any more. If I should set out one of my discourses with such rich spoils as these, it would, but too evidently, manifest the imperfection of my own writing. To reprehend the fault in others that I am guilty of myself appears to me no more unreasonable than to condemn, as I often do, those of others in myself. They are to be everywhere reproved, and ought to have no sanctuary allowed them. I know very well how audaciously I myself, at every turn, attempt to equal myself to my thefts, and to make my style go hand in hand with them, not without a temerarious hope of deceiving the eyes of my reader from discerning the difference. But withal, it is as much by the benefit of my application that I hope to do it, as by that of my invention or any force of my own. Besides, I do not offer to contend with the whole body of these champions, nor hand to hand with any one of them. It is only by flights and little light attempts that I engage them. I do not grapple with them, but try their strength only, and never engage so far as I make a show to do. If I could hold them in play, I were a brave fellow for I never attack them but where they are most sinewy and strong. To cover a man's self, as I have seen some do, with another man's armour, so as not to discover so much as his finger's ends, to carry on a design, as it is not hard for a man that has anything of a scholar in him, in an ordinary subject to do, under old inventions patched up here and there with his own trumpery, and then to endeavour to conceal the theft, and to make it pass for his own, is first injustice and meanness of spirit in those who do it, who, having nothing in them of their own fit to procure them a reputation, endeavour to do it by attempting to impose things upon the world in their own name, which they have no manner of title to. And next, a ridiculous folly to content themselves with acquiring the ignorant approbation of the vulgar by such a pitiful cheat. At the price, at the same time, of degrading themselves in the eyes of men of understanding, who turn up their noses at all this borrowed incrustation, yet whose praise alone is worth the having. For my own part, there is nothing I would not sooner do 
than that neither have I said so much of others, but to get a better opportunity to explain myself. Nor in this do I glance at the composers of centos, who declare themselves for such, of which sort of writers I have in my time known many very ingenious, and particularly one under the name of Capilipus, besides the ancients. These are really men of wit, and that make it appear they are so, both by that and other ways of writing. As, for example, Lipsius, in that learned and laborious contexture of his politics. But, be it how it will, and how inconsiderable soever these ineptitudes may be, I will say I never intended to conceal them, no more than my old, bald, grizzled likeness before them, where the painter has presented you not with a perfect face, but with mine. For these are my own particular opinions and fancies, and I deliver them as only what I myself believe, and not for what is to be believed by others. I have no other end in this writing but only to discover myself, who also shall, peradventure, be another thing to-morrow if I chance to meet any new instruction to change me. I have no authority to be believed, neither do I desire it, being too conscious of my own inerudition to be able to instruct others. Someone, then, having seen the preceding chapter, the other day told me at my house that I should a little farther have extended my discourse on the education of children. Now, madam, if I had any sufficiency in this subject, I could not possibly better employ it than to present my best instructions to the little man that threatens you shortly with a happy birth, for you are too generous to begin otherwise than with a male. For, having had so great a hand in the treaty of your marriage, I have a certain particular right and interest in the greatness and prosperity of the issue that shall spring from it. Beside that, your having had the best of my services so long in possession, sufficiently obliges me to desire the honour and advantage of all wherein you shall be concerned. But, in truth, all I understand as to that particular is only this, that the greatest and most important difficulty of human science is the education of children. For, as in agriculture, the husbandry that is to precede planting, as also planting itself, is certain, plain, and well known. But after that which is planted comes to life, there is a great deal more to be done, more art to be used, more care to be taken, and much more difficulty to cultivate and bring it to perfection. So it is with men. It is no hard matter to get children, but after they are born, then begins the trouble, solicitude, and care, rightly, to train, principle, and bring them up. The symptoms of their inclinations in that tender age are so obscure, and the promises so uncertain and fallacious, that it is very hard to establish any solid judgment or conjecture upon them. Look at Cimon, for example, and Themistocles, and a thousand others, who very much deceived the expectation men had of them. Cubs of bears and puppies readily discover their natural inclination. But men, so soon as ever they are grown up, applying themselves to certain habits, engaging themselves in certain opinions, and conforming themselves to particular laws and customs, easily alter, or at least disguise, their true and real disposition. And yet, it is hard to force the propension of nature. Whence it comes to pass, that for not having chosen the right course, we often take very great pains, and consume a good part of our time in training up children to things for which, by their natural constitution, they are totally unfit. In this difficulty, nevertheless, I am clearly of opinion that they ought to be elemented in the best and most advantageous studies, without taking too much notice of, or being too superstitious, in those light prognostics they give of themselves in their tender years, and to which Plato in his Republic gives, methinks, too much authority. Madam, science is a very great ornament, and a thing of marvellous use, especially in persons raised to that degree of fortune in which you are, and, in truth, in persons of mean and low condition, it cannot perform its true and genuine office, being naturally more prompt, 
to assist in the conduct of war, in the government of peoples, in negotiating the leagues and friendships of princes and foreign nations, than in forming a syllogism in logic, in pleading a process in law, or in prescribing a dose of pills in physic. Wherefore, madam, believing you will not omit this so necessary feature in the education of your children, who yourself have tasted its sweetness, and are of a learned extraction, for we yet have the writings of the ancient Counts of Foix, from whom my lord, your husband, and yourself, are both of you descended, and Monsieur de Candal, your uncle, every day obliges the world with others, which will extend the knowledge of this quality in your family for so many succeeding ages. I will, upon this occasion, presume to acquaint your ladyship with one particular fancy of my own, contrary to the common method, which is all I am able to contribute to your service in this affair. The charge of the tutor you shall provide for your son, upon the choice of whom depends the whole success of his education, has several other great and considerable parts and duties required in so important a trust, besides that of which I am about to speak. These, however, I shall not mention, as, being unable to add anything of moment to the common rules, and in this, wherein I take upon me to advise, he may follow it so far only as it shall appear advisable. For a boy of quality, then, who pretends to letters not upon the account of profit, for so mean an object is unworthy of the grace and favour of the muses, and, moreover, in it a man directs his service to and depends upon others, nor so much for outward ornament as for his own proper and peculiar use, and to furnish and enrich himself within, having rather a desire to come out an accomplished cavalier than a mere scholar or learned man. For such a one, I say, I would also have his friends solicitous to find him out a tutor, who has rather a well-made than a well-filled head, seeking, indeed, both the one and the other, but rather of the two, to prefer manners and judgment to mere learning, and that this man should exercise his charge after a new method. Tis the custom of pedagogues to be eternally thundering in their pupils' ears, as they were pouring into a funnel, whilst the business of the pupil is only to repeat what the others have said. Now I would have a tutor to correct this error, and that at the very first he should, according to the capacity he has to deal with, put it to the test, permitting his pupil himself to taste things, and of himself to discern and choose them, sometimes opening the way to him, and sometimes leaving him to open it for himself. That is, I would not have him alone to invent and speak, but that he should also hear his pupil speak in turn. Socrates, and since him Archesilaus, made first their scholar speak, and then they spoke to them. Diogenes Laertius, 4.36 Obest plerumque eis, qui discere volunt, auctoritas eorum, qui docent. The authority of those who teach is very often an impediment to those who desire to learn. Cicero, De Natura Dior, I. 5 It is good to make him, like a young horse trot before him, that he may judge of his going, and how much he is to abate of his own speed, to accommodate himself to the vigour and capacity of the other, for want of which due proportion we spoil all, which also to know how to adjust, and to keep within an exact and due measure, is one of the hardest things I know, and tis the effect of a high and well-tempered soul, to know how to condescend to such puerile motions, and to govern and direct them, I walk firmer and more secure uphill than down. Such as, according to our common way of teaching, undertake, with one and the same lesson, and the same measure of direction, to instruct several boys of differing and unequal capacities, are infinitely mistaken. And tis no wonder if in a whole multitude of scholars there are not found above two or three who bring away any good account of their time and discipline. Let the master not only examine him about the grammatical construction of the bare words of his lesson, but about the sense. And let him judge of the profit he has made, 
not by the testimony of his memory, but by that of his life. Let him make him put what he has learned into a hundred several forms, and accommodate it to so many several subjects, to see if he yet rightly comprehends it, and has made it his own, taking instruction of his progress by the pedagogic institutions of Plato. Tis a sign of crudity and indigestion to disgorge what we eat in the same condition it was swallowed. The stomach has not performed its office unless it have altered the form and condition of what was committed to it to concoct. Our minds work only upon trust, when bound and compelled to follow the appetite of another's fancy, enslaved and captivated under the authority of another's instruction. We have been so subjected to the trammel that we have no free nor natural pace of our own. Our own vigour and liberty are extinct and gone. Nunquam tutele sue fiunt. They are ever in wardship. Seneca, Ep. 33. I was privately carried at Pisa to see a very honest man, but so great an Aristotelian that his most usual thesis was that the touchstone and square of all solid imagination, and of all truth, was an absolute conformity to Aristotle's doctrine, and that all besides was nothing but inanity and chimera, for that he had seen all and said all. A position that for having been a little too injuriously and broadly interpreted, brought him once, and long kept him, in great danger of the Inquisition of Rome. Let him make him examine and thoroughly sift everything he reads, and lodge nothing in his fancy upon simple authority and upon trust. Aristotle's principles will then be no more principles to him than those of Epicurus and the Stoics. Let this diversity of opinions be propounded to and laid before him. He will himself choose if he be able. If not, he will remain in doubt. Che non mente save, dubia magrata. I love to doubt as well as to know. Dante Inferno, 11.93 For if he embrace the opinions of Xenophon and Plato by his own reason, they will no more be theirs, but become his own. Who follows another, follows nothing, finds nothing, nay, is inquisitive after nothing. Non sumus subregge, sibi quisque se vindicet. We are under no king, let each vindicate himself. Seneca, Ep. 33. Let him at least know that he knows. It will be necessary that he imbibe their knowledge, not that he be corrupted with their precepts and no matter if he forget where he had his learning, provided he know how to apply it to his own use. Truth and reason are common to everyone, and are no more his who spake them first, than his who speaks them after. Tis no more according to Plato than according to me, since both he and I equally see and understand them. Bees cull their several sweets from this flower and that blossom, here and there where they find them, but themselves afterwards make the honey, which is all and purely their own, and no more thyme and marjoram. So the several fragments he borrows from others, he will transform and shuffle together to compile a work that shall be absolutely his own, that is to say, his judgment. His instruction, labour and study tend to nothing else but to form that. He is not obliged to discover whence he got the materials that have assisted him, but only to produce what he has himself done with them. Men that live upon pillage and borrowing expose their purchases and buildings to everyone's view, but do not proclaim how they came by the money. We do not see the fees and perquisites of a gentleman of the long robe, but we see the alliances wherewith he fortifies himself and his family and the titles and honours he has obtained for him and his. No man divulges his revenue, or at least, which way it comes in, but everyone publishes his acquisitions. The advantages of our study are to become better and more wise. Tis, says Epicharmus, the understanding that sees and hears. Tis the understanding that improves everything, that orders everything, and that acts, rules, and reigns. 
all other faculties are blind and deaf and without soul and certainly we render it timorous and servile in not allowing it the liberty and privilege to do anything of itself whoever asked his pupil what he thought of grammar and rhetoric or of such and such a sentence of cicero our masters stick them full feathered in our memories and there establish them like oracles of which the letters and syllables are of the substance of the thing to know by rote is no knowledge and signifies no more but only to retain what one has entrusted to our memory that which a man rightly knows and understands he is the free disposer of at his own full liberty without any regard to the author from whence he had it or fumbling over the leaves of his book a mere bookish learning is a poor paltry learning it may serve for ornament but there is yet no foundation for any superstructure to be built upon it according to the opinion of plato who says that constancy faith and sincerity are the true philosophy and the other sciences that are directed to other ends mere adulterate paint i could wish that paluel or pompey those two noted dancers of my time could have taught us to cut capers by only seeing them do it without stirring from our places as these men pretend to inform the understanding without ever setting it to work or that we could learn to ride handle a pike touch a lute or sing without the trouble of practice as these attempt to make us judge and speak well without exercising us in judging or speaking now in this initiation of our studies in their progress whatsoever presents itself before us is book sufficient a roguish trick of a page a sottish mistake of a servant a jest at the table are so many new subjects and for this reason conversation with men is of very great use and travel into foreign countries not to bring back an account of only how many paces santa rotonda is in circuit or of the richness of signor olivia's petticoats or as some others how much nero's face in a statue in such an old ruin is longer and broader than that made for him on some medal but to be able chiefly to give an account of the humours manners customs and laws of those nations where he has been and that we may wet and sharpen our wits by rubbing them against those of others i would that a boy should be sent abroad very young and first so as to kill two birds with one stone into those neighbouring nations whose language is most differing from our own and to which if it not be formed betimes the tongue will grow too stiff to bend and also tis the general opinion of all that a child should not be brought up in his mother's lap mothers are too tender and their natural affection is apt to make the most discreet of them all so overfond that they can neither find in their hearts to give them due correction for the faults they may commit nor suffer them to be inured to hardships and hazards as they ought to be they will not endure to see them return all dust and sweat from their exercise to drink cold drink when they are hot nor see them mount an unruly horse nor take a foil in hand against a rude fencer or so much as to discharge a carbine and yet there is no remedy whoever will breed a boy to be good for anything when he comes to be a man must by no means spare him when young and must very often transgress the rules of physic vitamque subdio et trepidus agat in rebus let him live in open air and ever in movement about something horace odd two three five it is not enough to fortify his soul you are also to make his sinews strong for the soul will be oppressed if not assisted by the members and would have too hard a task to discharge two offices alone i know very well to my cost how much mine groans under the burden from being accommodated with a body so tender and indisposed as eternally leans and presses upon her and often in my reading perceive that our masters in their writings make examples pass for magnanimity and fortitude of mind which really are rather 
toughness of skin and hardness of bones. For I have seen men, women, and children, naturally born of so hard and insensible a constitution of body, that a sound cudgelling has been less to them than a flirt with a finger would have been to me, and that would neither cry out, wince, nor shrink for a good swinging beating. And when wrestlers counterfeit the philosophers in patience, tis rather strength of nerves than stoutness of heart. Now, to be inured to undergo labour is to be accustomed to endure pain. Labor callum obducit dolori. Labour hardens us against pain. Cicero, Tusk Quies, 2.15. A boy is to be broken into the toil and roughness of exercise, so as to be trained up to the pain and suffering of dislocations, colics, cauteries, and even imprisonment and the rack itself, for he may come, by misfortune, to be reduced to the worst of these, which, as this world goes, is sometimes inflicted on the good as well as the bad. As for proof, in our present civil war, whoever draws his sword against the laws threatens the honestest men with the whip and the halter. And, moreover, by living at home, the authority of this governor, which ought to be sovereign over the boy he has received into his charge, is often checked and hindered by the presence of parents, to which may also be added that the respect the whole family pay him as their master's son, and the knowledge he has of the estate and greatness he is heir to, are, in my opinion, no small inconveniences in these tender years. And yet, even in this conversing with men I spoke of but now, I have observed this vice, that instead of gathering observations from others, we make it our whole business to lay ourselves open to them, and are more concerned how to expose and set out our own commodities than how to increase our stock by acquiring new. Silence, therefore, and modesty are very advantageous qualities in conversation. One should, therefore, train up this boy to be sparing and a husband of his knowledge when he has acquired it, and to forbear taking exceptions at or reproving every idle saying or ridiculous story that is said or told in his presence. For it is very unbecoming rudeness to carpet everything that is not agreeable to our own palate. Let him be satisfied with correcting himself, and not seem to condemn everything in another he would not do himself, nor dispute it as against common customs. Licet sapere sine pompa, sine invidia. Let us be wise without ostentation, without envy. Seneca, Ep. 103. Let him avoid these vain and uncivil images of authority, this childish ambition of coveting to appear better bred and more accomplished, than he really will, by such carriage, discover himself to be, and as, if opportunities of interrupting and reprehending were not to be omitted, to desire thence to derive the reputation of something more than ordinary. For as it becomes none but great poets to make use of the poetical license, so it is intolerable for any but men of great and illustrious souls to assume privilege above the authority of custom. Siquid Socrates and Aristippus contra morem et consuetudinem facerunt, idem sibi ne arbitrita licere, magnis enim illi et divinis bonis hanc licentium assequibanta. If Socrates and Aristippus have committed any act against manners and custom, let him not think that he is allowed to do the same, for it was by great and divine benefits that they obtained this privilege. Cicero, De Office, 141. Let him be instructed not to engage in discourse or dispute, but with a champion worthy of him, and even there, not to make use of all the little subtleties that may seem pat for his purpose, but only such arguments as may best serve him. Let him be taught to be curious in the election and choice of his reasons, to abominate impertinence, and consequently to affect brevity. But above all, let him be lessened to acquiesce and submit to truth so soon as ever he shall discover it, whether in his opponent's argument, 
or upon better consideration, of his own. For he shall never be preferred to the chair for a mere clatter of words and syllogisms, and is no further engaged to any argument whatever than as he shall in his own judgment approve it. Nor yet is arguing a trade where the liberty of recantation and getting off upon better thoughts are to be sold for ready money. Neque, ut omnia, crux praescripta et imperata sint, defendat necessitate ulla cogita. Neither is there any necessity upon him that he should defend all things that are prescribed and enjoined him. Cicero, Acad, 2.3. If his governor be of my humour, he will form his will to be a very good and loyal subject to his prince, very affectionate to his person, and very stout in his quarrel. But withal, he will cool in him the desire of having any other tie to his service than public duty. Besides several other inconveniences that are inconsistent with the liberty every honest man ought to have, a man's judgment, being bribed and prepossessed by these particular obligations, is either blinded and less free to exercise its function, or is blemished with ingratitude and indiscretion. A man that is purely a courtier can neither have power nor will to speak or think otherwise than favourably and well of a master, who, among so many millions of other subjects, has picked out him with his own hand to nourish and advance. This favour and the profit flowing from it must needs, and not without some show of reason, corrupt his freedom and dazzle him. And we commonly see these people speak in another kind of phrase than is ordinarily spoken by others of the same nation, though what they say in that courtly language is not much to be believed. Let his conscience and virtue be eminently manifest in his speaking, and have only reason for their guide. Make him understand that to acknowledge the error he shall discover in his own argument, though only found out by himself, is an effect of judgment and sincerity, which are the principal things he is to seek after. That obstinacy and contention are common qualities, most appearing in mean souls, that to revise and correct himself, to forsake an unjust argument in the height and heat of dispute, are rare, great, and philosophical qualities. Let him be advised, being in company, to have his eye and ear in every corner, for I find that the places of greatest honour are commonly seized upon by men that have least in them, and that the greatest fortunes are seldom accompanied with the ablest parts. I have been present when, whilst they at the upper end of the chamber have been only commenting the beauty of the arras or the flavour of the wine, many things that have been very finely said at the lower end of the table have been lost and thrown away. Let him examine every man's talent, a peasant, a bricklayer, a passenger. One may learn something from every one of these in their several capacities, and something will be picked out of their discourse whereof some use may be made at one time or another. Nay, even the folly and impertinence of others will contribute to his instruction. By observing the graces and manners of all he sees, he will create to himself an emulation of the good and a contempt of the bad. Let an honest curiosity be suggested to his fancy of being inquisitive after everything. Whatever there is singular and rare near the place where he is, let him go and see it. A fine house, a noble fountain, an eminent man, the place where a battle has been anciently fought, the passages of Caesar and Charlemagne. Quux tellus sit lenta gelu, quae putris ab aestu, ventus in Italium quis bene vela ferat. What country is bound in frost? What land is friable with heat? What wind serves fairest for Italy? Propertius, 4, 3, 39. Let him inquire into the manners, revenues, and alliances of princes, things in themselves very pleasant to learn and very useful to know. In this conversing with men, I mean also and principally those who only live in the records of history, he shall, by reading those books, converse with the great and heroic souls of the best ages, 
tis an idle and vain study to those who make it so by doing it after a negligent manner but to those who do it with care and observation tis a study of inestimable fruit and value and the only study as plato reports that the lacedaemonians reserve to themselves what profit shall he not reap as to the business of men by reading the lives of plutarch but withal let my governor remember to what end his instructions are principally directed and that he do not so much imprint in his pupil's memory the date of the ruin of carthage as the manners of hannibal and scipio nor so much where marcellus died as why it was unworthy of his duty that he died there let him not teach him so much the narrative parts of history as to judge them the reading of them in my opinion is a thing that of all others we apply ourselves unto with the most differing measure i have read a hundred things in livy that another has not or not taken notice of at least and plutarch has read a hundred more there than ever i could find or than peradventure that author ever wrote to some it is merely a grammar study to others the very anatomy of philosophy by which the most abstruse parts of our human nature penetrate there are in plutarch many long discourses very worthy to be carefully read and observed for he is in my opinion of all others the greatest master in that kind of writing but there are a thousand others which he has only touched and glanced upon where he only points with his finger to direct us which way we may go if we will and contents himself sometimes with giving only one brisk hit in the nicest article of the question whence we are to grope out the rest as for example where he says that the inhabitants of asia came to be vassals to one only for not having been able to pronounce one syllable which is no which saying of his gave perhaps matter and occasion to laboti to write his voluntary servitude only to see him pick out a light action in a man's life or a mere word that does not seem to amount even to that is itself a whole discourse tis to our prejudice that men of understanding should so immoderately affect brevity no doubt their reputation is the better by it but in the meantime we are the worse plutarch had rather we should applaud his judgment than commend his knowledge and had rather leave us with an appetite to read more than glutted with that we have already read he knew very well that a man may say too much even upon the best subjects and that alexandridas justly reproached him who made very good but too long speeches to the ephori when he said o stranger thou speakest the things thou should speak but not as thou should speak them plutarch apothegms of the lacedaemonians such as have lean and spare bodies stuff themselves out with clothes so they who are defective in matter endeavour to make amends with words human understanding is marvellously enlightened by daily conversation with men for we are otherwise compressed and heaped up in ourselves and have our sight limited to the length of our own noses when asking socrates of what country he was he did not make answer of athens but of the world cicero tusc quaes five thirty seven plutarch on exile c four he whose imagination was fuller and wider embraced the whole world for his country and extended his society and friendship to all mankind not as we do who look no further than our feet when the vines of my village are nipped with the frost my parish priest presently concludes that the indignation of god has gone out against all the human race and that the cannibals have already got the pip who is it that seeing the havoc of these civil wars of ours does not cry out that the machine of the world is near dissolution and that the day of judgment is at hand without considering that many worse things have been seen and that in the meantime people are very merry in a thousand other parts of the earth for all this for my part considering the license and impunity that always attend such commotions i wonder they are so moderate and that there is no more mischief done to him who feels the hailstones patter about his ears the whole hemisphere appears to be in storm and tempest like the ridiculous savoyard who said very gravely 
that if that simple king of France could have managed his fortune as he should have done, he might in time have come to have been steward of the household to the duke his master. The fellow could not, in his shallow imagination, conceive that there could be anything greater than a duke of Savoy, and, in truth, we are all of us insensibly in this error, an error of a very great weight and very pernicious consequence. But whoever shall represent to his fancy, as in a picture, that great image of our mother nature, in her full majesty and lustre, whoever in her face shall read so general and so constant a variety, whoever shall observe himself in that figure, and not himself, but a whole kingdom, no bigger than the least touch or prick of a pencil in comparison of the whole, that man alone is able to value things according to their true estimate and grandeur. This great world, which some do yet multiply as several species under one genus, is the mirror wherein we are to behold ourselves, to be able to know ourselves as we ought to do in the true bias. In short, I would have this to be the book my young gentleman should study with the most attention. So many humours, so many sects, so many judgments, opinions, laws and customs, teach us to judge aright of our own, and inform our understanding to discover its imperfection and natural infirmity, which is no trivial speculation. So many mutations of states and kingdoms, and so many turns and revolutions of public fortune, will make us wise enough to make no great wonder of our own. So many great names, so many famous victories and conquests, drowned and swallowed in oblivion, render our hopes ridiculous of eternizing our names by the taking of half a score of light horse or a hen-roost, which only derives its memory from its ruin. The pride and arrogance of so many foreign pomps, the inflated majesty of so many courts and grandeurs, accustom and fortify our sight without closing our eyes to behold the lustre of our own. So many trillions of men buried before us encourage us not to fear to go seek such good company in the other world. And so of the rest, Pythagoras was wont to say, Cicero, Tusquies, v. 3, that our life resembles the great and populous assembly of the Olympic Games, wherein some exercise the body, that they may carry away the glory of the prize. Others bring merchandise to sell for profit. There are also some, and those none of the worst sort, who pursue no other advantage than only to look on, and consider how and why everything is done, and to be spectators of the lives of other men, thereby the better to judge of and regulate their own. Two examples may fitly be applied all the profitable discourses of philosophy, to which all human actions, as to their best rule, ought to be especially directed. A scholar shall be taught to know, quid fasoptere, quid asper utile numus habet, patrix carisque propinquis quantum elargui deciat, quern te deus esse jussit, et humana qua parte locatus es in re, quid summus, et quidnam victori gignima. Learn what it is right to wish, what is the true use of coined money, how much it becomes us to give in liberality to our country and our dear relations, whom and what the deity commanded thee to be, and in what part of the human system thou art placed, what we are and to what purpose engendered. Perseus 3.69 What it is to know, and what to be ignorant, what ought to be the end and design of study, what valour, temperance, and justice are, the difference betwixt ambition and avarice, servitude and subjection, licence and liberty, by what token a man may know true and solid contentment, how far death, affliction, and disgrace are to be apprehended. Et quo quemque modo fugiatque, Feratque laborum, and how you may shun or sustain every hardship. Virgil, Aeneid, three four five nine. By what secret springs we move, and the reason of our various agitations and irresolutions. For methinks 
the first doctrine with which one should season his understanding ought to be that which regulates his manners and his sense that teaches him how to know himself and how both well to dig and well to live amongst the liberal sciences let us begin with that which makes us free not that they do not all serve in some measure to the instruction and use of life as all other things in some sort also do but let us make choice of that which directly and professedly serves to that end if we are once able to restrain the offices of human life within their just and natural limits we shall find that most of the sciences in use are of no great use to us and even in those that are that there are many very unnecessary cavities and dilatations which we had better let alone and following socrates direction limit the course of our studies to those things only where there is a true and real utility supere aude incipe qui recte vivendi prorogat horum rusticus expectat dum defluat amnis at ille labitor et labetor in omne volubilis ovum dare to be wise begin he who defers the hour of living well is like the clown waiting till the river shall have flowed out but the river still flows and will run on with constant course to ages without end horace ep one two tis a great foolery to teach our children quid moviant pisces animosaque signa leonis lotus et hesperia quid capricornus aqua what influence pisces have or the sign of angry leo or capricorn washed by the hesperian wave propertius four i eighty nine the knowledge of the stars and the motion of the eighth sphere before their own what care i about the pleiades or the stars of taurus anacreon ode seventeen ten anaximenes writing to pythagoras to what purpose said he should i trouble myself in searching out the secret of the stars having death or slavery continually before my eyes for the king of persia were at that time preparing to invade his country every one ought to say thus being assaulted as i am by ambition avarice temerity superstition and having within so many other enemies of life shall i go ponder over the world's changes end of section twenty five recording by daniel fraser